Well, good evening, everybody. I'm very honored to be here with you guys. You guys miss the Hohenschels? I, uh, I assume you do. I, I, I miss Jeff. He was such a great friend and encouragement to me constantly. Um, we know that God is the ultimate king, though, and he is the ultimate shepherd, and he's the ultimate head of the church, and uh, our trust is in him. And my encouragement to you guys this time would be just to lean into what God's calling you personally to do. And I think that a lot of times when there's people that leave that are in leadership in a church, whether it's the senior pastor or any position in the church, there's a great opportunity for people to step up into roles that you hadn't been in before. And you might be thinking, man, if we had a pastor, we could, somebody should call that person. The pastor would call that person. Well, maybe you're the person that God wants to call that person, right? So it's like, guys, you are the church. A pastor is in the church. You know, the business entity, whatever, the, the nonprofit entity of the church is not the church. The, the people, the body is the church. And so I think that God is going to call you guys into new and exciting things and maybe stepping up into new kinds of ministries individually and personally that maybe you haven't been in before. And I just want to really encourage you guys to lean into that. Don't, don't put things on ice or just kind of like, well, wait, and, wait till the pastor gets here. It's like, no, just start initiating in the ways that God is leading you relationally with the people that are right around you. And I know that God's going to work in a very special way because this is His church. And Jesus promised that He is going to build His church. It's not a pastor. It's not an individual. It's not an elder. It's not anybody. It's certainly not a guest preacher. It's God. It's Jesus that builds His church. So let's trust God in that and how He's going to work, work through this time. So let me go ahead and uh, read the text. If you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Peter Chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to read the text and then pray. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks of oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I just pray that you would work through your word right now. Lord, send your spirit to work through what I say and into our hearts to hear what you have for us, Lord, so that we can be obedient to it, so that we can respond to it, so that we can find freedom, that we can find light, that we can move more and more out of darkness into your freedom. God, we give this time to you for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. So this last year has been a really hard one in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, since the pandemic started, it has been very difficult in so many ways. I mean, even, I mean, the pandemic itself was huge. Uh, lots of lost work, lost income, Lots of things thrown up into turmoil. 
We've had more and more uh, uh, conflict within our culture. It seems like the, the tribalism is getting more and more divided. People are getting more and more angry. We're seeing, uh, you know, in other words, like national scale kind of stuff. Conflict, 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 trouble, trouble, trouble. But I don't know your lives, but I'm sure there's also personal problems and personal trials and things that are happening in your lives. I mean, and just even I think about my church and I think down through the list of people that are in our church and this just family after family, really difficult stuff. It's, there's some things that are related to the past year and the pandemic, but it's, it's not related often. It's difficult things, relational kinds of stuff, like hard, hard, hard stuff. The book of 1 Peter was written to churches and Christians that were in tough times. This whole book, and God has a lot to say about difficulty, but I want to zero in on these verses, but I want to give you a little bit of a sampling just so you can see that 1 Peter, one of its big themes is trials and tough times. Chapter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 2.19, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 3.14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 3.17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 4.12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon, upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 4.19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I think you could say that 1 Peter is almost like a field manual. Anybody here with military experience or maybe you're in the military now, you understand what a field manual is. In a field manual, as I understand the military, I have no military background, is, is basically like a how-to, simple how-to guide for basically everything. The military has got field manuals for all types of things. Survival, uh, first aid, they have an old one that's about setting booby traps, um, you know, weapons, uh, you know, operations, uh, 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 planning for a strategy, all these different kinds of manuals. And I think we'd call First Peter a field manual for tough times. And, now, and I think that verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4 are kind of a broad brushstroke, I'm going to call it. Big idea in terms of what do I do? What is the uh, operating procedure for when I'm in a tough time. And so th this isn't going to try to cover all of that. Scripture has a lot to say about trials and, su and suffering, including 1 Peter. But in particular here with this passage, it's about what do I do with my mind? What do I think about? And then what do I do? What are my actions <clears throat> within a, a tough time, within a trial? 
So we're first going to look at the mind, and that, that really, I think, is covered in verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I want to zero in on what he says, the end of all things are at hand. And then look down at the very end of verse 11. Here's some more big picture context. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Guys, we, we have our little lifetimes, but God's looking at all of time. And we've got our little kingdom, but all dominion belongs to Him. So the first thing, if you want to put this on your notes, the first point that I want you to see here is that we need to take hold of God's vision. We see our little world, we see our little timeline, but God sees the whole thing. So when I'm in tough times, step number one is I need to take hold of God's vision. Take hold of God's vision. He says the end of, th of all things that are at hand. Now, what does that mean? Now, this is, you might have seen like somebody downtown kind of wild-eyed, you know, unkept hair and a crazy beard with some food in his beard maybe. He's carrying around a sign maybe that says the end is nigh, you know, and it's like, guys, you know, this is what happened in Israel and this is this timing and that thing and let me, here's all my charts and all these timings and Jesus is going to come back in October or, you know, something like that. I don't think that that's what Peter is saying right here. Not to mention the fact that this was written almost 2,000 years ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't think that Jesus would even today carry one of those signs because Jesus was explicitly asked when he was on the earth, when's all this going to happen? And Jesus says, only the Father knows. I don't even know these things. So if you were to ask Jesus, is, this almost, is it almost going to happen? He'd say, I, I don't know. So the point here is that he, I think what Peter is saying here is that the end phase is here. We are living in the final age, if you will. In other words, another way to say it would be all of God's redemptive plan has been revealed. There's no new information that's necessary to understand God's redemptive plan for your soul. He could come back in a minute. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back in a week. He could come back in 2,000 years. Under either, any of those circumstances, the end is at hand. There's an urgency that should come. So even if he doesn't come in back in my lifetime, you don't know when your life is going to end. You don't know when your neighbor's life is going to end, your coworkers. The end is at hand. Everything we have is available to us. And here's the important thing to realize is that I think that when we take our eyes off of what we're seeing and we see things the way God sees them, it radically changes our behavior, completely changes the way we... Because look at what he says next. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The imminent return of Christ... In so many other parts of Scripture, including this one, is meant to create urgency, guys, a focus on what really, really matters for us. 
And I think that when we uh, see things the way God sees them, we take hold of God's vision. Instead of being driven by our impulses, like whatever impulse comes in, I respond to, I'm self-controlled. Instead of my heart and my mind being, you know, uh, attracted and drawn to the cares and concerns of the world, I'm sober-minded and I have clarity in my prayer life. I am praying about what God matters and what He cares about. We take hold of God's vision in tough times and that gives us clarity. Clarity. Let me give you a real-world example. It's just so sad and horrific to see what's happening down in South Florida with this condominium that collapsed. I don't know if you guys, have, I'm sure you guys have heard about this, but last I checked, so far there's, I think about 22 people have been confirmed lost, and there's over 125 that are still missing. This happened in the middle of the night. I think it was January 24th at 1.25 a.m. Just collapsed. What were they thinking and what were they doing on January 23rd? What, what were their plans? What were they working on? Were they thinking about the pool party they had planned for January or the July 4th weekend? Knowing what was going to happen the next day, do you think that would have given them clarity on what they should be doing and what they should be thinking about? Knowing that that was about to happen. And the tragedy of it, though, and I was just reading this in the Washington Post, is that they did, in fact, know. In 2018, engineers gave them a full report that there's some serious structural problems here. And the board of directors for their condominium facility, they put out bids for engineers who came in and gave them different price tags on it. One of them was as much as $15 million to do the repairs. And then in response to that, there were some people in the condominium that said, well, it's worth it. We need to do this. And there's other people who said, can we possibly do it a little bit cheaper? It led to all kinds of bickering and infighting. I read that last year, when COVID really went crazy, it just it made, in all the lockdown, the intensity and the, and the difficulties and the conflict within that condominium just really got to a significant place. Several of their board members had to resign because of all the conflict. They had to pass a rule that, to the condominium that basically said that nobody's allowed to assault or verbally assault any of the board. It's like, can you imagine that? Like, we actually have to have a rule about that? We have to be kind to one another? If they had known on June 23rd what was going to happen on June 24th, would there have been clarity on what they should do? Self-discipline, sober-mindedness, prayer that's aimed at what matters. But here's the sad reality. I have already said it. I'm going to say it again. They did know. They didn't know the hour or the day. But they had very clear warnings. They just didn't take it as seriously. Maybe, you know, who knows? God only knows the, the specifics of that. And the, the reality is that we know as well. God has told us this is it. This is the final age. There's, the next thing that happens is God comes back. You know, and there's a lot of specifics about the timing of different things. I don't even want to touch or get into that. But the point being is that God has revealed His whole redemptive plan. There's no more new information. It is Jesus Christ 
crucified on the cross for my sins, for your sins, through faith in Him and Him alone, my sins nailed to the cross, His righteousness then imputed onto me, His death, His burial and resurrection so that I can die in my past and arise again to newness of life today and have eternal freedom. That is the God-sized vision of the reality of our age and of our time. So we have God's field, field manual for tough times. Number one, we've got to see things the way that God sees them. Take hold of His vision. So now what do we do? What's the action? What's the action that we need to take from a mindset now to acting let me read verses 8 through, through uh, the first part of 11. He says, Above all, keep loving. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, there are a lot of different ideas in here. And we're going to walk through some of these, but here's the way that I would summarize. I'm going to put it all into one big bucket. God gave you love, therefore God wants you to give love away. God gave you your residence. God expects you to use your residence to give it away to others. God gave you gifts talents, abilities, other things, he expects you to give that away to other people. God is the source of all of these things with an expectation that he gave it to you for the purpose of giving it away to others. So here's number two. It's up on the screen. Give away God's provision. In tough times, give away God's provision. And this is completely counterintuitive to us because when things are tough, we're not thinking about giving away things. We're thinking about hoarding things. i got to protect what I've got. And maybe I even need to find other things to add to what I've got. That's the way our mindset is. But God is expecting you to give it away. So let's look at each one of these in, in some, a little bit more detail. First of all, he says love. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, God gave you love. God expects you to give that love away. He says, above all. That's the first note on this one. Above all. I believe that the defining character quality of God is His love. And he expects our defining character quality to be love for others. He says to love one another earnestly. You know, I think that means to be diligent about it. I'm seeking it out. I mean, that's like, it's not just a, a checklist. Here's how I love you. And I check all the box and move on to the next thing. It's like, no, this is... My whole life is animated by this, a desire to earnestly love the people that are around me with no ulterior motives, with no expectation of what's going to be given back to me. I just desire to love you. 
And he says, I love how it says, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this is, this is not the classic Washington, D.C. cover-up, right? So we're in Washington, D.C., and I don't know how many politicos are in this room, but there's always a possibility, especially being in the political capital of our country and perhaps the world. This is no cover-up is what he means by this. This is, this is a picture of the love of God on the cross. The cross covered my sins, not in a way that swept it under the rug, but in a way that dealt with the sins. Romans 5, 6 through 11, I just love this passage. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He's describing the love of God right now, which, by the way, is our model of loving those around us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. The reality of sin is that sin begets sin, begets sin, begets sin. Someone sins against you, the natural response is you sin back to them. That's the way the world works. Sin begets sin begets sin until love intervenes. And then love begets love that begets love. Jesus intervened while I was still a sinner. So my love, that God, that's the love that God gave me. Therefore, that's the love that I give to other people, that I give away to other people. All right, second thing, hospitality. Verse 9, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I said it already, I'll say it again. God gave you your place of residence give it away. And I would highly recommend the book by Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I think I, I think I heard Matt mention it one time when I was here. Fantastic book to give you incredible creative ideas about how whatever you've been given in terms of a residence, it's like a little outpost of the kingdom of God. Set among a community of people that are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is so much opportunity for us to think, yes, get them to come to church, but you know, I think they're going to come to your house before they'll come in the doors here. Get them to come to your house, and then maybe with some time, you'll get them into the community of God. There's so much opportunity for us right next door. God's plan for them is you. God's plan for your coworker, the people that God's brought into your life, is you. And of course, there's just so much opportunity. His emphasis here is on hospitality towards the one another's. Again, you, you, you think, boy, there's that person in the church, man, if, 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 if Pastor Hohenschel was still here, I'm sure that he would get a phone call, that person, and that person would maybe get the meals they need. You know, you're thinking about, man, as soon as we get a pastor, then that person will get loved. 
it's like, well, maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you. This is the opportunity that God's given you. And he's asked you to be the one to reach out to them. And I love the way that Joshua put it. In the latter part of his life, in the book of Joshua, it's recorded, there's a long speech that he gives to the nation of Israel. It's his last speech before he passes away. One of the things he says, it's a famous line, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have the opportunity to plant a flag in your place of residence, no matter how big or simple or small it is. A flag of God, that this is God's kingdom, and this kingdom is going to serve the Lord. You, know, you might be looking around thinking, man, I wish if, if they would do this and they would do that, you've got all these ideas about what other people should be doing with their kingdom, and man, if we just get more people involved, then that would happen. We'll start with your kingdom, which is your residence. And I think there's two things that we need to avoid in hospitality is, number one, trying to impress Okay, so I think that in Eastern culture and their culture, hospitality was much more of a thing. Hospitality isn't as big a deal for us here in the West. Hospitality for us is something you got to work at. When you think of hospitality, you might be thinking of like Martha Stewart. You might be thinking about like the Instagram perfect place settings with the amazing meal and the perfect wine and the setting, the patio, whatever. Let's, let's, let's get that out. Let's, let's not seek to impress people with our hospitality. Now, I think there is a, a place for, that's an act of love in some ways, right? And some of you might be really gifted at that kind of thing, and that's great. I don't want to discourage from that. But just because it's not Martha Stewart standards, that doesn't give, give you an out. The point is, I think we need to be generous. Let's be generous with, with what God has given us, we're going to give that away to others. And, and I love that. Um, I was just thinking about it as well. My wife reminded me this last week is that, have you guys, I don't know if, I assume this is true everywhere, but to me there is a distinct difference in hospitality between men's retreats and women's retreats. Is that a thing in this church as well? I mean, like in my experience, you go to a women's retreat and there's pins and there's notepads and there's place settings and there's a little gift bag and it's awesome. It's so many cool things. I mean, Christy would come back from someone like, this is some cool stuff. And you go to the men's retreat and it's like, well, we got meat and we got a fire and, oh, we forgot the utensils. No big deal. Just use your hands. I mean, it's like that's as simple as it is, right? But guys, let's, let's not... Let's not poo-poo one or the other. Let's do what we, ha we have, right? Let's just take what we've got that God's given us and use it for his kingdom. The second thing we've got to be careful with is grumbling. And he says it right here in this text. He says, be, give, get, be hospitable with one another without grumbling, without grumbling. And I rack my brain the whole time I was trying to work on this text and trying to figure out why grumbling? Why does he say grumbling? Like, why? I mean, yeah, that makes sense, right? We should be hospitable and don't grumble about it. I understand, but why does he add that in? And I was just kind of wondering, well, maybe it's because in their culture it was like an obligation thing. You know, like I've, I've read about how like if somebody just randomly showed up at your house and said, I'm traveling through, can I stay here? You were obligated to say yes. And I can imagine if it's an obligation, then maybe there's a tendency for grumbling, but then I actually started thinking about my own life. 
And like my own thought processes whenever we're like inviting somebody over. And it's like there's so much grumbling that goes along, you know, like right here. And this, this guy right here. Because like I've got my standard of clean, but then Christy has her standard of clean, you know. And, and I'm like, oh, they're going to grow. You know, like I don't want to vacuum it this well. I mean, it's like is anybody really going to look behind that? You know, or, or you know, it's like um, I'm thinking like oh, I just wanted to relax tonight. I just wanted to turn on my TV show and watch my thing. I mean, it's like there's a lot of grumbling as I thought about it. Guys, let's be generous and, and just love the fact that God gave me this residence and this food. I've got to give that away. Let's be generous with that with other people. And the third thing he says here is we need to be generous and give the gifts that God has given us. In verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God gave you gifts. Give those away. God gave you talent so that you could give that away. God gave you abilities so that you could give that away, right? This is the reality. This is what's true in God's word right here. I want to highlight just a handful of things here. First, it says that each has received a gift. Each. That means that in this room, there is nobody that hasn't received a gift. Every single person in this room has received something from God that he has designed for you to give to somebody else. Not some. Each has received a gift. And the second thing is that there is no expectation from God that you give what you haven't received from God. So there isn't a higher expectation than what God's given you. And that kind of fits with what I said before about the Martha Stewart level hospitality. If God hasn't given you that, that's okay. You don't have to give that kind of hospitality. But look at what he says in verse 11. He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. God gave it to me and I gave it to you. It's not my words. It's not my ideas. I'm trying to give you guys what I'm seeing in this text. That's God's, not mine. And then here's even clearer, he says, one who serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. There's no request of God to dig deep and pull beyond what he hasn't already given you. God supplies the strength that he wants you to use for other people. The next thing is you see that the word steward is in here. You know, a steward is not an owner. A steward is not somebody who gets to do with it whatever they want to do with it. A steward is somebody that is serving another person who owns the thing and serving in such a way that will please them and working the way that they want them to work. So the question that we should ask is, am I a good steward of what God has given me? Am I using what God gave me? It clears day, it says right here, to serve one another. God gave you that gift and expects you to serve one another with that gift. He says it right there. And then here's the one to me that's just, I feel like, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I feel like this is mind-blowing for me. He talks about God's grace that's been given to me 
that I then give to other people. There are a lot of things in the New Testament about the church, verses that you could point to that can give us all the ideas and the doctrines about the church. In my opinion, this verse has got to be in the top three at least of, of important verses that tell us about the church. Because what the Apostle Peter is saying here, I mean, just think, first of all, let me back up and just ask you guys this question. How significant is grace to the doctrines of Christianity? How significant is grace to this church? It is massive. And the Apostle Peter is saying, as clearly as can be said, that God gave other people grace designed to be received by you. That is huge. That should define a lot of the church community of Fairfax Bible Church. God has designed grace for you that comes through someone else. And you have received grace from God that he has designed for somebody else. It's not just for you. It is designed for somebody else. It's, and it's not just the kind where it's like, well, they've stumbled, so I'm going to pick them up, and then now we're all good, we're all running and getting the grace from God. No, it's like the way he distributes his grace is through one another. Wow. That's a big, big deal. You're like a mail carrier. God's written a letter. It's like, it's like remember in, you know, in elementary school, it's like you... You know, I like you. Do you like me? And you fold it up and you give it to somebody and then they give it to somebody else. God has told you to tell somebody else, God loves you. And so do I, by the way. It's like this is the way God works. If you think of grace, grace is like guacamole and you're like a tortilla chip. It's just like we're going to take the guacamole and we're going to stick it in our mouth. It's like grace transferred via tortilla chip. Okay, maybe that's too much. Okay. But you guys get the idea. He distributes his grace through one another. Wow. I want some grace of God. Do you guys? I mean, who here wants some grace from God? I mean, it is designed to come through somebody else in this room. That's the design. Intentional design from God. So what has God given me? Answer that question, that's now your list of what's designed to be given to other people. Give away God's provision. So in broad brushstrokes, God's field manual for tough times, take hold of God's provision, or take hold of God's vision, and then give away God's provision. And here's the last part. Verse 11 tells us the result. The last part of verse 11, he says, In order that in everything may God be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In our tough times, guys, it doesn't matter how tough or what's going on. In everything that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, too, to think about, guys. It becomes a lot easier to walk through tough times as soon as we give up on our own glory and start going after His glory. When I give up on my little kingdom and I start working for His big kingdom, 
Because, you know, my kingdom, it's like in the, in the eternal sense of it, which is why I think it's so critical to start with the vision. i got to see things the way God sees them. In the eternal sense of it, my little kingdom is nothing. I would rather that thing go away so that I could be a part of something bigger and better that's going to be lasting and eternal, eternal in everything that God would be glorified. Take hold of God's vision. Give away God's provision and then see God glorified in everything as we walk through whatever the circumstance, whatever the tough time might be. Let me pray. Our God in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much that, Lord, you did not leave us in our state of need. Jesus, you heard the call. You left heaven to come down to our world and suffer in our place. Lord, and you have revealed everything there is to be revealed, and now it's just a matter of taking it to the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take our eyes off of what's right in front of us, Lord, and see the bigger picture. God, to see the fact that this is your glory, that this is your dominion, that, that your uh, kingdom is at hand, that the end is at hand. Lord, all these things are working out in your perfect timing, but I don't know when it's going to be, but it could be at any moment. So, Lord, give us that kind of clarity of vision, God, so that we see things the way you do and then respond with self-control and sober-mindedness and then prayers that are focused on what is bigger and more important than anything, Lord. God, and then give us the boldness, God, to see everything that you've given to us and just give it away, Lord. Lord, what you've given me is designed to be given to others, to bless them, to encourage them, to love them, all the different things, Lord. God, you've given each of us grace, you've given us love, you've given us homes, all these things, Lord, help us to see them, Lord, as gifts from you designed for other people, God. And I pray that at Fairfax Bible Church, that you would build a community of people that are distributing your grace from one to another. Lord, receiving from you and giving to others generously and in growing together for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.